0: This is Mouth Media Network covering the
1: business of lifestyle.
2: This episode of Content is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio.
3: My name is Angela Way. I'm a partner and managing director at Milk Agency. And what I love about content is it's always evolving and it's a reflection of our culture.
0: Typically, When you think about the creation of content, it's based on a message that a particular brand wants to communicate and share, right? So now we have the ability to personalize that content and we base it on so many points of consumer data, this is essentially changing the world in a really big way. So here's a culturally conscious company with 10 divisions, an agency, studio production services, content gallery, editorial platform, and even a makeup line. That's really cool. They're activating at every step of the creative process. They're essentially producing and distributing groundbreaking material and products. Clearly, Milk knows content. It is definitely their business.
2: From New York City, you're listening to Content is Your Business, conversations with industry leaders and influencers covering the strategy and innovation of brand storytelling. Produced by Mouth Media Network, powered by Sennheiser, and brought to you by 24-7 Talent, the leading creative recruitment firm. Your hosts for this episode are Dahlia Strum, Lisa Berger, and Edward Hertzman.
0: Angela, thanks so much for being with us. Um, So, We realize that Milk Agency is an extension of Milk Studios, but can you talk a little bit more about the structure and what that looks like?
3: Sure, it's interesting Um, because today we kind of talk about ourselves as a full-service creative studio, but the word specifically studio means facility, Um, and we started 20 years ago Um, When we had this building in the meatpacking and we didn't quite know what to do with all this space. So we created um, one of the first ever um, independent photo studios because back then you used to have to rent a photo studio from someone else and camp out in their space. Um, And the ethos behind creating the studio wasn't just to create a space to make content. One of the things we've always talked about is that the incarnation of Milk as a culture, as a brand, has always been about a platform for creative collaboration and expression. Um, So we've always said, whether it's a website, a studio, a hotel, a makeup brand, whatever we do, that it would sort of embody that brand. So coming out of that ethos, we now today have a studio We have a creative agency. We have a set of creative services, um, everything from casting to post-production to event production, equipment rental. Um, We have what we call our culture platforms, which is our gallery where we have a physical space um, where we host gallery shows. And then we have a website called Milk XYZ. Uh, where we publish and feature uh, emerging talent and interesting cultural stories, um, along with publishing fairly regularly to all of our social platforms. So we have a pretty large Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. We sort of nurture all of those platforms on behalf of our community. And then our most recent business that we launched is Milk Makeup. So that's uh, pretty clear. It's a makeup company. Um, So it's a pretty complex ecosystem that sort of developed pretty organically um, out of a set of entrepreneurs that came together and sort of looked at what was happening in the landscape. Um, And as content has evolved, I think so has the broad set of Milk's set of services around that.
1: Have you gotten into manufacturing beauty products or are you representing the beauty space?
3: So um, the Milk Makeup team incubates and does all of their product development in-house There's nothing licensed about the Milk brand and nor, I think, would we ever just give in the way we've nurtured our culture and our brand. So you're
1: controlling the supply chain.
3: So we um, do everything in-house. The main partner on makeup is Sephora.
1: So you have – it's direct-to-consumer and then your retail – you're distributing it through brick-and-mortar via Sephora? Yes. Very cool.
4: You have quite the – content evolution within your career. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and what led you to milk?
3: Yeah, um, I grew up in the late 90s when the first dot com boom was happening. And I was um, an early employee at Razorfish when it was a large scale digital consulting company. You know, they were building Encyclopedia which I don't even think exists today. Speaking of content, <laughs> so um true. and so you know I went from pretty much digital consulting and innovation into the ad world, um, because the ad world started to need to do more products and websites. Um, And I've always gone back and forth between sort of the agency services side and the media publishing side. So I started at MTV and Discovery Channel, and I was always interested in thinking about how those brands sort of... um, collaborated with other brands. So I was really working on the sales marketing side and representing um, a lot of that almost as an in-house agency at a lot of those big media companies. Um, So from doing all that work in digital, actually, I had the opportunity to go work at um, a startup called Heavy, which was back in 06, one of the only big sort of video competitors to YouTube. Um, And then, you know, when the bottom sort of fell out of the dot-com industry, um, I actually had the opportunity to then think about going back to the agency side, but then I'd also worked at Time Inc. in their branded solutions division. So um, I've always been interested in thinking about how, you know, one brand works with another brand and what is that interesting sort of gray area and Venn diagram between them. Um, and I've seen content from all angles. And that's actually been what's been so fascinating for me. You know, I've seen the evolution of sort of digital. I've been at a place like Time Inc, which you know used to be the ivory tower of of you know editorial integrity. And then I worked at a place like Heavy where we were doing, you know a lot of affiliate work mm-hmm. and you know thinking about distribution and how do you drive clicks. Um, so, you know, I always talk today about, and this is something we used to talk about, you know, previously around the evolution of content as a pyramid. At the very top of that pyramid, you have things like feature films and Super Bowl commercials. And today, you know, it's why I touch my phone, you know, 500 times a day. There's that sort of like ongoing stream of content, snackable content. And I had not found very many places that really understood how to think about content and create content all the way through the pyramid until I had the opportunity really. um, And I spent several months talking to Milk to kind of understand um, what they were doing in their set of services. So.
4: And you had mentioned like new school and old school content. So define that.
3: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we're still seeing this as a challenge in today's landscape. Right. So it's complex. I talk about content almost as like a molecule. And it's like the stream of stuff that goes past you. And, and certainly, you know, when I think about the traditional advertising world, it's always been about I know how to hire a director to make a Super Bowl film, or I know how to hire an amazing fashion photographer to license, you know, five marquee images for my brand campaign. Um, You know, I talk a lot about modern marketing, which is in today's landscape, that's clearly not enough. I mean, we've all been talking about this for several years now. You know, when I went to Milk, it was like, everyone was talking about content. Content is the future. Um, and brand is publisher and how important it was for brands to be publishers. And and I think that's true. I just don't think people have figured that out yet.
0: So- I agree with you there 100%. It's actually really funny because you touched on this earlier. And I just think our listeners should know this, how intertwined this industry is because you worked with David Carson so he was one of our previous guests. How funny is Lex that? Lex was your former boss, right? Or no, you know,
4: Lex, we've
3: collaborated, collaborated. with before. Okay. Yeah. so yeah.
4: So,
1: so you mentioned, you know, the timings of the world. Um, Who've always had a strong editorial, you know, the church and state. We'll call it between advertising and editorial, and then you see this this evolution of a lot of these clickbait sites evolving because obviously you have to drive a lot of traffic to generate ad revenue, because a lot of stuff is now, you know, ad network. So the CPMs have come way down. Um, a lot of businesses now going affiliate. So you don't even know when you read an article, if the editors are recommending it because they really like that product or because they're getting a 5% or 10%, you know, uh, payment on the back end. Do you see this becoming a problem? Do you see the the lines blurring even more and, and readers starting to really question the the integrity of content? And now, with branded content became becoming even more important, you know how does how do these big media houses keep this integrity and trust
3: so i think I think there's a couple of things I think transparency is so important. I think today, when I look at the generation of people that are at milk that are all in their early twenties, they love brands. um they are comfortable with brands actually, as long as it's fully disclosed. So I think that what do you mean by brands? Uh, They go to brand experiences. They don't shy away from brands. I think like my generation was very much like, oh, with logos. Oh, that's an ad. I had a friend that literally used to tear out every ad page in a magazine.
1: Wouldn't you say that's actually opposite of what's going on? Because today- You'll see uh, in in the apparel world, for example, people are so into the fast fashion, they'll go, it's not about brand. It's all about style. It's all about the fashion. You wear it today, gone tomorrow. Um,
3: Maybe we should redefine the word brand because what I mean there is that I think generationally there used to be an aversion to like if it's a brand, it's a shill. It's not something that's going to benefit me. It's something that I don't need to worry about. People are just selling things to me. I think today what has happened when we look at the evolution of how brands are marketing is that there's a transparency and then there's a value exchange. And I think when you provide both of those things to your audiences, they respond very differently. So there's a whole generation of young kids that are here in New York that are like – oh, my God, it's my dream to get invited to a brand media party and get like awesome free drinks and food and right. be in this scene. And that is actually not something that I feel like previous generations would have welcomed. But How I also do you scale that. that? Isn't it a
0: culture shift a little bit where brands didn't actually make an effort to engage with the community? Right, because
3: value exchange was not a thing. Right. right. This idea of digital creating dialogue is really kind of what's changed all of this. Like one person – we talk about having like one person having a voice to affect a giant brand,
1: but how do you? You know, this is something I wonder. Is how do you scale this? Because it's 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 easy for a brand to to put together uh, influencers, and that doesn't have to mean the top fifty Instagram people, but people that are definitely have influence in a in a in a loft or in a studio and me packing and create a lot of press and impressions around that. But if you're a mainstream brand mm. and you're trying to get Middle America involved, you you clearly can't take that same concept and roll it out in Missouri and Mississippi.
3: I disagree with that, actually. I always talk, you know, I talked about content as a pyramid. I talk about audience as a pyramid, too. Um, there are thousands of young women in the Midwest that know Milk as a makeup brand because they watch their favorite YouTube beauty vlogger talking about it so i actually believe that the influencer piece is not just cool new york city kids that follow other cool new york city kids it's 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 not a a bubble you know there's a reason why the vidcons of the world exist and there's just like teenagers that are in all of these celebrities that none of us in this room have ever even heard of
1: right but how does that apply to some of the older more um you know, legacy brands. If you're a J.C. Penney's, if you're a Bounty, if you're a Scott's paper towel. I mean, if you, if you're a even you know, a Jergens or Dove soap. And now you have these Glossier or milk. You know, you have these new brands that are coming out. And it's it's the long tail, right? It's 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 the sum of all these these smaller players that are starting to take market share. Not one is eating into a Procter and Gamble's P and L, but it's the it's the aggregate of all of these brands that are starting to make something. I mean, it means something, but how how would you approach, you know, a more mass brand and, and roll out this type of concept?
3: I guess I don't really know what you mean. I'm sorry by I like think, rolling. I think out what he means is
0: like what Oreo did. So like you take a legacy brand that wasn't as relevant and you create a conversation around it. Yeah. So. Are
3: you talking about scaling? Are you talking about relevance? Well, are you talking I, about product? I, I could see like... like
1: I could see how you can <laughs> take a brand like Supreme, yeah, and which is just got a huge valuation. But when I look at Supreme and all its success, it represents like zero percentage of the overall uh, amount of uh, retail that happens. So if you look at, you know, if, if I'm sitting now at, at JCPenney's or I'm sitting at Gap or I'm sitting at Old Navy or w- whatever, and I'm saying, look, I want to try to recreate some of this excitement and um, experiential marketing that is being done by some of these cooler brands, these, more, these newer brands. How does that work?
3: So we're talking specifically about experiential. I think there's something very interesting there, which is think about the old economics of media, right? What did a full page ad in the New York Times cost? Hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Today, I can rent a storefront for $10,000 and I can create an experience in that storefront and I can rent 50 storefronts, probably in other parts of the world for less than $10,000 a month. And I can create an experience. Um, experience to me and even kind of what you were talking about before about scaling, like scaling to me is meaningless without a true purpose and a North Star, right? So I think that's where brands fall down. I think it's like, oh, they think it's tactical. They're like, great, like we're going to become this next big cool brand because we're going to collab with cool people. right? Sure, that's what you're doing. But it has to come down to the foundation of what your brand is about. And when we talk about brand, I don't just mean like, the words that describe what you do. I mean that positioning that drives everything in your culture. Like your brand book should drive who you partner with, how your employees operate, how you guys communicate, who you go to when you think about your distributors. Um, And I think that piece often is disconnected. Right. The the kind of like foundational, what was in our DNA? What do we really care about as a brand versus what do we need to do to make money? And do those things feel authentic?
1: Right. That's I think authentic the key word and here. Maybe
4: that's what's made them so successful because so many companies do not do that. Like that yeah, I mean, piece I, that's infused into milk is obviously working well and it starts at the top. You know? And, and you know, I know I, I, I sort
3: of started earlier by saying, like, I don't want to talk too much about makeup because it's a separate business. But one of the things I I. You know, for instance, like what you're saying is, you know, milk is a place that does strategy from the inside out. We didn't do six months of research and like planning and like think about positioning. We literally knew in our gut. We were like, this is what our culture is about. And actually, a lot of people think about Milk as a studio. So you would think it would be Smashbox and it would be this amazing studio brand. That's actually not what the Milk brand is about. The Milk brand has always been about emerging culture, creativity. So, you know, when the brand was started, actually, we talk about being a B2B service company because we're actually not a consumer brand, mm-hmm. right? Other than our gallery and our media platforms, which are tiny, um, you wouldn't know us as a consumer brand. But, you know... We created the brand out of service to our community. Because as a service company, we were like, there's not a makeup for people like us. Like, we want to be able to go in the back of the cab and use some sticks. And, like, so if you look at a lot of um, what we do, even on behalf of our clients, for instance, our strategy and planning process is, is very, very quick and agile because we're so connected to culture.
1: Have, have some beauty brands shied away now that they feel that you're competition?
3: Um, I think on the agency side, there's some lack of understanding that they're very different businesses because obviously people still shoot at Milk Studios. Right. So it's it's a conflict in some areas, but maybe not others. Um, yeah.
0: OK, well, on that note, <laughs> um, it's actually our favorite time of the show, so. We typically like to uh, break for a snack and get to know our guests a little bit better. And I know you brought some goodies. So typically people bring in uh, interesting snacks that describe them and their personalities. And usually it's something that I personally can't have. And now Eddie's joining the team of not being able to have dairy. So we're kind of excited about... uh, Lactose, lactose. (laughs) (laughs) Lactose. We're yeah, dining. I
3: know. I felt like really put on the spot because I was like, "What? What food object represents who I am as a person?" And then I was like, "You know what? I'm just going to bring a snack. I'm not going to think about it that hard."
0: Um, so I brought
3: some seaweed snacks for you guys. Cool.
0: You just made our I, day. I know
3: it's not for everyone.
0: It's a very specific taste, but it's healthy. Yes. It's I salty. love seaweed snacks. You just made my day. You Plus, know? I think give us a little bit of insight as to why that describes you.
3: Uh, I don't know. I love Asian food. I. I um, think it's it's a thing where I I very much am trying to focus on being healthy, but I love salty things. Mm. So personality wise, I'm not sure it's a huge articulation of who I am. I don't think I'm salty. At least I hope not. <laughs> no. um, a little crispy. I can get a little crispy <laughs> after a couple productions. Yeah. Okay. When I'm burnt out,
0: maybe. Yeah, but understand. yeah, otherwise, I like that. <laughs> Back in a minute.
3: Check out Sennheiser's latest Bluetooth in-ear headphones, the HD1 Free. Premium materials and flawless craftsmanship combined with stunning Sennheiser sound, all in one small and wireless package. And we're not kidding. This makes a great gift. Learn more at Sennheiser.com. And our listeners can get a
0: 25% discount. With the code MouthMedia Send at checkout.
2: That's MouthMedia S E N N. 24-7 Talent connects top brands and agencies with exceptional creative, marketing, and digital talent every day. Whether you're looking for the right position or to hire the very best talent, 24-7 boasts more than 500,000 vetted and interviewed freelance and full-time candidates. Experience the difference at 247talent.com. That's 247 7 talentcom
3: One of the things I was thinking about, because you kept talking about scale, was how everything, at least in the digital content and media landscape, is moving towards a barbell model. So it's either pure programmatic or it's all custom. Right. The stuff mm-hmm. in the middle has gone away, and that's really changed the economics I of digital media.
1: So. I, I see that big time with our business. You know,
3: because because on the ad tech side, you know, yeah. there's been so much evolution and consolidation in that fairly fractured industry, and the way that programmatic and self-serve tools have changed that landscape is, like, it's pure performance marketing. Yeah. So what I've,
1: in this show, I've always become, I guess you would say, the devil's advocate. I guess that's the role I play. I have to be the more of the villain, right? Yeah. Because I'm always trying to to extract the business in this yes what's the economics like i understand how fucking cool it is to have 320 somethings partying and putting beautiful pictures on instagram i don't know what that means if i was bounty's cmo and said someone said look at this like i want to work with milk what am i going to do I, you know, I, you know it's like you don't like you can't apply this to everything like sure but uh, that
3: comes down to purpose right so like i think with the consumer packaged goods it really depends like what you're going to do with a toothpaste brand is totally different than if you're Spotify, right? right? But so, so, I'm d- still seeing brands like Hallmark right now do pop-ups where they're doing Museum of Holiday cards, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of has to, I think, come
1: down yeah, yeah, to... You talk about Tiffany in one thing or how they didn't even have the word Tiffany in it or you talk about... Um, you know, what dog. about
3: like the ADO space right now? That yeah. is a... that You That's could literally right. walk into yeah. that space and have no idea it has anything to do with Mini. Any, yeah, any, but he it, wants we to
0: there. give me the installation. He just sent me a message yesterday. He oh yeah, to, we just went well, to go visit is
4: it. Is sponsoring that whole space?
3: Uh, yeah. With, so so there's some confusion. Oh, I, I'm God. unclear about yeah. what that space really is. To be honest with you, but so you, you, you know, either. we do a ton of research. And just reporting in brand experiential in general, because it's so important to us. Milk in some ways is its own brand space. Like when we throw parties for ourselves, that's a a big part of it. So I think seeing, you know, one of the things we just visited, the Van Cleef and Arpels exhibit. I don't know if you heard about that at Cedar Lake. That was super interesting to me. Van Cleef is doing experiential. I mean, that's crazy. How does that... So I would turn that back and say to you guys, like, how does that help them sell 50 to $150,000 pieces of jewelry? And then I would argue that at some point in time, purchase path is about brand relevance at the very top. So
0: I agree with you 100 So
3: if I'm doing... Make a jewelry case and you've got grandma there with her daughter. You've created a ritual and you've embedded a brand experience and a brand awareness that she takes through time. And
0: there's nostalgia associated. There's – it's a, look, the more people talk about you, the more you're relevant. The less people talk about you, the less well, you're relevant.
1: Well, 100 percent. And in the luxury market, I could see that being – look, there's a real there's, – there's a reason we still go out and – People want Hermes, or they want Chanel, or they want Rolex, or they want Tiffany, because sure. it's it's these are di- brands that are never discounted. I don't
0: agree with you. I actually think that the, Tiffany's hurting a lot because because the mindset is changing. The barrier to entry for business is so low. So I don't know if I agree with that. The yeah, more people talk about the brand, the more they're coming. They start they're out they're
4: coming back. I mean, did you hear about now breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of
1: course. But I guess I guess what I'm I'm getting at is more. Um, I think we're 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 entering a time where brands forget the top there the will recession bust whatever there will always be someone that has a grand to spend on on a pocketbook or handbag whatever you guys call it at Chanel but with with the Amazon ecos of the world and you're going to get into antitrust issues in years to come where you say battery
3: yeah and you're just no, going to no, get a, a white label battery I 100% agree with you which is commodities are commodities right. at some point in time the only difference in that commodification Landscape is going to be your brand experience. Well, but that's,
1: but that's, it's very interesting. I don't know where I was. I was at some event and someone said, you know, and I keep bringing up Bounty because it was in my head. It's like Bounty is a brand, right? And they said, if tomorrow you went to Dwayne Reed and it ceased to exist, what impact would that have on the world? It'd be zero. You just pick up whatever next to it and go home. You know what I mean? It really would have. So what's the the IP value is becoming less and less if if it used to be that I, I want a Hanes undershirt but now if Amazon's going to make 3 white shirts for 12.99 that brand becomes less and less relevant.
3: So then what happens when Supreme t-shirts accidentally get sold at Kmart and people go crazy over a white t-shirt. That's Supreme. literally a Hanes t-shirt.
1: Supreme is different. Supreme is it's a But but, much...
3: but that's kind of where I'm getting at the power of brand.
1: Right? right, but that's – but that's the, the difference though is you could only scale Supreme to a certain extent before it becomes like –
3: Sure, the, but it's a white t-shirt. Why right. would I buy a Supreme white t-shirt that's Hanes but I can't, and I, pay $40 for it versus the same Hanes t-shirt? It's, it's a
1: brand, but this is where the argument becomes. If you set – if you create a premium denim brand – you could get to $10 million by keeping the distribution at Nordstrom's, at Bloomingdale's, at Barney's, at Boutique, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If, if all of a sudden you have a, a board that wants you to get to $100 million, unless you go to Macy's, unless you go to Dillard's, unless you go to Von Mar, there is no distribution. So you're going to start cannibalizing yourself. Sure. If so you're you talking about bi-
3: product distribution. This is about content is your business. Then what role does content play in that distribution of that story? Right. Product distribution is totally different. Like with CPG, I remember I had this conversation with an old client who was like, this was obviously many, many years ago because I think things are different today. And he said to me, Angela, tell me how Facebook helps me sell my thing. And that's literally what he wanted. He's like their company had built an econometric model that was super clear that said every time they ran this many ads, they would get this much demand, which would then increase their distribution. Right. But today, that same question is not being asked because he knows that brand relevance is what will drive distribution. No, but I get
1: that. I mean, I built a whole um, uh, microsite for a $2 billion fiber company, and we basically created a whole site. We publish content every day for them, you know, Tencel, model, whatever. We've, cre- we've been able to get, you know, 10, 15,000 trade executives. So the re- raw material person at Rag & Bone subscribes. The reality is the people in Austria are like, why am I spending a hundred grand a year on this? I, I, there's no because you can't, there's no r o i on that It's not like they're selling more fiber because of that site the, but there's a community that they're creating they're they're talking to each other, but is that
0: a true statement? Or are they not selling more fiber because of that site because every time you have the opportunity to talk about who's the thought leader in fiber? could they be referenced as the thought leader in fiber what they're and-
1: doing is they're creating an ecosystem where they where they're making their customers feel good about themselves they're writing about the mills they're writing about the brands they're sending it sure, to each and, other and I it's think a fraternity it,
0: and what
3: i think is interesting about that is when you talk about you know traditional you know, content marketing and how content marketing has taken off and you think about that content planning it's like there's content you have once you're further down into the funnel but the rest of that content needs to be distributed The right? you you're buying audiences and distributing those the,
1: stories the, the 30 to 50 the 30 to 45 year olds in that organization understand the immense value in that it's the 50 to 60 year olds that are like to your point. Well, if I spent a dollar on Facebook, what is that? How much more tons of, 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 of yarn am I selling? Or, you know, yeah. You can't, no, and, no, and, 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 and I think
3: and I think that's the challenge right now. When I talked earlier about how much I love content, that evolution is exciting. There is no right or wrong in content. Everything is this ongoing sort of stream and test and learn, right? Mm-hmm. And even today, I mean it's interesting because we always talk about content as like the white paper, the TV commercial. Today content is what I put into search, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that crazy thing where you're, like, going through your Instagram stream and you're like, how does Amazon know that these products in this slideshow is for me? Content is also what I input. So the personalization of content is going to change all of that really, really this? quickly. That was a really
1: good statement right yeah. there.
0: I literally yeah. just got that at InstaStory. Like, literally just got <laughs> that at Well,
3: and, you know, I think about that because… We're entering I live with a technologist. My husband is a technologist. My home is filled with connected home, every device you can think of. And we've been talking a lot about like this future of voice, right? Voice search, visual search. Have you seen the thing you could do with Pinterest today? It's mind-blowing. You can take a picture with the Pinterest app of something, and it will help you find – and the AI will search visually for every other product that is
0: similar. Totally. So I think th- it's going to replace Google think Images. Think about what that means for brands, yeah. right? Think about what can that I do means. I for you...
1: people? I was always wondering, you. You're on the subway. Wow, she's really cute. Can I take a picture You should try of her? it. You and should then, try like, it. That would be really creepy. Be like, <laughs> I saw you on the uh, C train two days ago, and I found you on my Pinterest app. They'd be like, Wow.
3: Yeah, you Isn't found that out like... she was a model in a campaign somewhere.
1: All of yeah. a sudden, I'll, I'll have allegations against me twenty years from now. No, no, no.
0: it's like the revised <laughs> version what? of Misconnections, right? Yeah. Like, like I feel like that totally applies because these things have been happening. Whether you post on Craigslist, like Misconnection, or however you want to put it out there, but like these are these are things that actually we we've called them Big Brother. They, they, until they do now. have
1: that. I don't. What's what's that app where people, if you cross over, that it's a dating app where you oh. – there's so many.
0: I don't
4: know. But they, they
1: have one where if you're in the same GPS, yeah. like, you know, if you literally cross paths, mm. it pops up.
4: That's so funny, really. Yeah.
1: yeah. I know my brother was all into that. Like, oh, I saw someone on the street, like, and he's swiping through a million people to see if he could find her. <laughs> don't worry. My brother's not going to watch you. Listen to me. So it's a, we're, I'm, I'm safe.
3: I see behaviors in my landscape. And you guys probably have all
4: experienced mm-hmm. this yourself. Like, yep. I saw that thing. Mm-hmm. Damn. Where mm-hmm. did I see that? Totally, yeah. every so single day. I think day. there's also a component of like social commerce. There's this um, she was I, I met her oh, yesterday. you used to go shopping. Yeah. Today you are shopping. Right. Period. So right, like she's that's the other gap. And she basically has now set up studios. It's called Mix Match. Yeah. Mix I don't know. Um, and they're it's a studio, all right. So they're doing the full on shoot, and then you can basically go on. But I mean, it's buy everything right there yeah. for any brand yeah. that they shoot with. And it's yeah. beauty, fashion, everything. Yeah. um, I feel like that's a component that you guys could. Well, I think when you talk about, you know, we were talking about
3: the challenges before of sort of like traditional content, new school content, old school, new school. Um, and I think one of the things that's unique about us is having such purview into that process. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been able to think about how to do integrated production. In meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know when we talk about content, we don't just talk about the economics of it. But like for me, I used to be a producer mm-hmm. really early on. So I always like to think about how things get made. Right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the how is just as important as the why as the where. So I think a lot of times today, people are thinking about the economics of content and saying, how am I going to be able to create so many different assets For the future. Mm -hmm. And I think asset management, it's not a sexy topic when we talk about content. It's a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking about voice and visual Mm -hmm. search. Mm -hmm. What happens in the near future when you need metadata that says, girl in the purple dress, and you're talking to your, you Mm -hmm. know, Amazon Echo? How do you tag that asset? How do you associate that asset? This is a very complex ecosystem when we're thinking about, you know, you only have one budget. How is that budget gonna service such a fractured landscape? Right. And I think that's been the challenge with a lot of these brands investing in their core audiences and the lower hanging fruit because it's difficult and it takes a risk and an investment to say, I need to be relevant again and I need to do things that are uncomfortable or different to reach new audiences.
0: So you work with a majority of uh, emerging brands, right? We well, you work with a lot of brands that Ultimately, are trying to connect to culture. Yep. And so
3: for us, it's either large scale brands that realize they need to do something different or try to reach out to a different community. And then because we're a private organization, we really like to help and work with small upstart brands. It's important to us. Um, you know, I, we don't have a person standing over saying you need to make X type of margins. So we get to be very... Choiceful in our decisions about who we want to work with.
4: I feel like that's a common theme with, with anything that we've talked about with experiences. There's no budgets tied to it, and that's what I don't really understand. I guess because everything that
0: some companies
4: Elizabeth that I'm working less, with, right? you know, there's there's budgets tied to it. But when it comes to, but I think it's kind of what you were saying, saying right? which is like, like how do you no measure experience?
3: Budget. So for us, experience and content go together.
1: I think there's still a budget. Someone may say, I have. A million dollars for print, a million dollars for digital, a million dollars for experiential, a million dollars for this. The question, the question becomes is, and I think there's a big push for this type of stuff. If you're a provider of mm-hmm. services, is because it's impossible mm-hmm. to track. The thing is, when someone comes to me and says, "Well, Eddie, you know, we only got um, 137 clicks on this email," mm-hmm. I say, "Well, when you I watch a TV commercial, I don't click and buy a Lexus." Mm-hmm. Or I don't read a magazine and and, and tear the sheet out and run and buy a Rolex. But now because you could track the clicks, what about the 100,000 impressions you got over this past week to your ad? Does that not count?
0: But isn't there like a level of where they want to live on the marketing funnel? Like is it a matter of discovery? It's a matter of conversation. For people
1: people that are into branding, I think it's about – exposure it's about scale again how do i get across as many channels as possible if it's lead generation it's all about not only how many leads do we get how many people actually qualified pick up the phone like real ones qualified.
3: i mean we have people clients that are like great some pr company got this amazing person to dj the event I'm like, awesome, you got hundreds of thousands of impressions to an audience of 25 year olds. How many of that audience of 25 year olds mm-hmm. is gonna buy fine jewelry at a $20,000 entry price? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I- mm-hmm. you know, like that's the other challenge of measurement is what's the value of impressions today? Mm-hmm. Like when you think about print impressions, that's not even the same as digital impressions.
1: And I think it's different. Like, you know, you said before B2B. I, I'm from the B2B world. So if you're in a consumer, you know, marketplace where you could get a trillion impressions and buy it across an ad network for 50 cents CPM because you're, axe, you know, soap or whatever, body spray, you just want to hit as many guys, 18 to 40, humanly possible in America. However, if you're trade, if you could get, if I could get one a yeah. major uh, apparel uh, or Amazing. retailer to buy a PLM system yeah. for a million dollars, what the hell is a $25,000 campaign? Right. Free. Right. They mm-hmm. they do that trade all day long. On the flip side, if they get a 1,000 leads and that converts to nothing. Doesn't matter. Or they get 10 million impressions, while I could say the CPM is nothing, Right, it's 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 not relevant to them. Right.
3: But I think that goes back to what you were saying. What's Mm -hmm. the goal? Is the goal awareness? Is it changing brand perception? Is Mm -hmm. it getting leads? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, at the end of the day, every client says the same thing. What are your goals? Brand awareness and sales. That is literally the same brief I get from every single marketing client. And I think if you go
1: back to the days Mm -hmm. of. And and that's
3: like the top and bottom, right? So that's like the whole funnel.
1: I'm sure. During I don't the... even
0: know how you respond to that. I'm sorry. i, I just like thinking about that because again, it is—it's always going to be brand awareness and sales. But no. how do you respond to well, that? Well, this is
1: where you have to be a good salesperson and you have to know how to how to mm-hmm. schmooze and you mm-hmm. have to know you have. There's a response for each one, and there's also you have to realize that if if you just plaster people with ads on a site, they're probably not going to get the leads. How do you position them as a thought leader? What's the call to action? Is it something they could download? You have to physically capture the information so that there's a there's a there's a means for them to get a phone call or at least give them the information so they can make a phone call if someone is launching a new product at a trade show you got to it could be as simple as positioning them before the trade shows so when people are walking through top of mind is oh that's a new machinery company I have to visit that booth and they're like wow this year we saw so much more traffic at this this show versus the year before and only thing I did differently was advertise on sourcing journal than not so we find value in that or Hey, we had five thousand people sh- sign up to attend this trade show from this link, and they put a cookie in or whatever because of our advertisement or dedicated email. So it's it's, it's very easy to, to trace all this. But I think in the history of marketing, whether you're you know a caveman, you know chiseling something into a stone, or you're selling something on a phone. The advertiser always says they didn't get enough value, and 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 the publisher is always saying that we delivered more than we were supposed to. And this is always going to be the conversation because it it's a buyer and a seller is going to always argue about the same metrics until the end of time.
3: Yeah, and I think look, because we're milk, our focus tends to be on the consumer side. It tends to be on the youth and emerging culture side, and so a lot of times that measurement of success is a qualitative one. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like if you if you know. Any of you came Mm -hmm. to a milk party, you would be like, oh, my God, this is an ethnography. Like, we need to mine this room for their information. Mm -hmm. And I think that is really a a challenge, too, right? When you're creative and creatively driven, you know, what is that story? Great. The development of that story doesn't get measured. The distribution and then how does that affect sales is what gets measured.
1: You're also getting rid of the waste because I feel like the argument always is if you bought a traditional magazine ad and you said, you know, I only want to target people 18 to 24 and and that's only 20% of the distribution. The other 80% is 24 to 50. You would say, well, I don't want to spend $100,000 for that page because I only need 20% of that audience. So really, I only want to spend 20000 Yeah. In, you, in your case, you could say, look, our event only has this, like you said, this millennial or this age... You're getting rid of all the fat and you're just super, super hyper-focused.
3: Yeah, and it's interesting because obviously as a creative agency, we don't deal in traditional sort of media buying, but obviously we do a lot of influencer work. We do Mm -hmm. paid social promotion so we understand that landscape. Um, And what I think is... Is really interesting about that is when you tie that to experiences. To your point about how does that scale? Like that's literally what people are doing, right? They're like scrolling through their feed and clicking on that geotag, and they're looking at what that experience was like. That and they're they're searching for that. Like they're it's not being pushed to them. They're not like they're engaged. They're looking at what their friends are doing or what their favorite influencers doing what are they at what are the brands they care about oh that's their discovery process they're feeling severe
0: fomo and that you know into a spiral so that's kind of your
3: point about like how do you reach the person in the midwest i mean we're not talking about bounty paper towels but we are talking about the fact that these audiences and how they're influenced in their purchase decisions Mm -hmm. and what brands they think are cool is driven out of this new form of content it's not going to be the you know, I asked my team. Some of those people on my team are in their, like, early 30s. When was the last time you watched a TV commercial? When I watched sports, Angela, because sports is the only live captive audience or an awards show or those big temples. And sports
1: is look, the NFL's not not doing so well right now because, again, they've, they've, they've over-prioritized everything. It used to be Sunday afternoon. Now it's got to be Thursday night. Now they Sunday night's a big deal. Now Monday night. Now how many days out of the week does someone want to watch football? And it's 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 every single game. Right. 15 times on a Sunday. Sad it's too much and they're trying everyone's trying for this never-ending growth. This is what Wall Street and, and, and venture capitals have done to every single space is that this concept of never-ending growth. Open up more stores. Open mm-hmm. up more distributors. Just keep growing to yeah. the point of saturation and, and, and death.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and, and specifically in media, I think that's been what we were talking about before in, what terms of, in terms of what's challenging the economics of digital content, right? Like you're talking about fractions of a penny, on a dollar versus what the economics were in the more traditional media values. And I think, look, it's it's funny because I'm sure all of us in this room today Mm -hmm. have an understanding of how like digital media and traffic and arbitrage, I mean, you know, nobody doubles their their traffic in Q4, but somehow they're able to deliver the same number of impressions, you know, when Q4 budgets double. Like there's definitely a lot of-
1: But that's more, I think, on the consumer side because- you know, I, I've, I've worked with and, and have, uh, uh, I would say, lost quite a bit of money trying to figure out how to, to your point, um, almost buy traffic to fill my demand. I have more demand than I can supply because I'm trade. So if, if there's a trade show happening, that's when everyone wants to advertise. But I can't create more space. I have a limited amount of impressions at that period of time. I can't create another million people in the world that care about cotton prices.
3: Right, and that's the that's the reason why the media is valued differently because one is infinite.
1: Right, right. But f- I would
3: I would even argue if you're buying within a property, that traffic is not infinite. People doubled the ads on the page in Q4. Well, yeah, you, you know, like more. people work around. So you could there, do that. There's definitely some dark arts when we talk about digital traffic mm-hmm. driving and arbitrage. That's not the world, obviously, we live in as Milk. We're actually very much content and culture focused. I think originally we started about as a digital agency. And to be honest with you, Milk's culture is not a digital agency culture. We don't have developers there. It's not an engineering culture. It's actually this sort of like post-digital culture. Right. None of those kids there think like print, TV, media. They're just like, this is, this is what I do. I'm on. I'm on all these different platforms.
1: What is, what does it cost? Someone comes and they want to do a, an event or an art exhibit or a collaboration. They want to do something in you know, Thursday it, night. It really
3: depends. And actually, we were talking before about like some of the stuff with Luca and mm-hmm. you know with uh, Trevor Andrews. So, you know, again, because we're private, it, it depends on the economics of the situation, and it also depends on what it's for and does it make sense for us. Um, so we will often do things. Because we believe that they need to be supported. And there's absolutely no commercial deal involved. And we're investing in making it happen. So an example is, you know, we launched Made Fashion Week a couple years back. It got sold to IMG. And as a result, we're now kind of, you know, not doing things in that building during Fashion Week. And so we started thinking Mm -hmm. about what should we be doing in February and September? And we landed on this concept of, well, let's give away, you know, our gallery, To a person that really deserves this platform. Um, And it's funny because Lucas Sabat, who's actually quite known Mm -hmm. today, but, you know, I think several years ago he was on like a New York Times cover, like the the coolest influencer you've never heard of, a full page thing. And, you know, we were talking about him and he came to us and, and one of the interesting insights, someone on his team actually said this, you know, they're all trying to market to us, but they're not letting us create the content and i think that that's a really provocative mm-hmm. statement when you right. think about how savvy <laughs> yeah. this new generation yep. is. Okay. They're like you're trying to talk to me then why aren't you letting the people i care about in my community mm-hmm. be able to generate that content. And i know, you know, 10 years ago everyone was talking about user generated content, but this is sort of a, a different approach, you know, when you're really talking about this new rise of emerging creatives. Um, you know, in the case of Trevor, what was interesting was he started his Gucci ghost thing and Gucci actually Um, over time started to accept that. And so that's been one of the most successful collaborations, Mm -hmm. you know, that Gucci's ever done. And like the power of a single artist and individual to really disrupt that landscape. And then what is it that these brands need to build their collaborations in a way that feels authentic? We were using that word before, broadly overused word, but um, it's It's true. true. He started doing that. It wasn't like they hired him and he did it. You know, and and that's really what resonates. I think, you know, we had people in our in our gallery just Instagramming for hours on end in front of all of his work. And it was obviously a much a a very visual and immersive installation. Um, But I think there's something to be said for, you know, when you talk about content, why is it so amazing? It's how we share. It's how we communicate. It's how we create. Mm -hmm. And today, you know, everyone's been talking, oh, everyone's a content creator. Actually, we're doing a lot more curation than we're doing creation. I don't think people acknowledge that we're all curators right now. I mean, how many of you have all taken like fifty photos and been like, "Which one should I post?"
0: Always, every day. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we've heard a lot about milk, thoughts on reaching new audiences and new forms of engagement. So, coming up, more about Angela and her personal story. Back in a minute. <laughs>
2: You can follow us on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. And episodes are available on our website, contentisyourbusiness.com, and wherever the best podcasts are found. You can also check out all of the other Mouth Media Network shows at mouthmedianetwork.com.
0: here sitting with Angela learning all about Milk Studios and I think it's a great time for us to take a minute and just learn more about you um, what inspires you what motivates you I think my all-time favorite question is what's your favorite book because we learn from inspiration right
3: oh I have a lot of
0: favorite books um I have a feeling you do
3: I do. I really love A Room of of One's Own from Virginia Woolf because I read that very early on when I was young and I felt like just as a piece of sort of feminist literature had a huge impact on me. I'm a huge fan of Lolita. That feels like the opposite of A Room of One's Own when we talk about that. But um, yeah, those are some of my two favorite books.
0: And why do you think that they've inspired you on your path?
3: You know, it's really interesting because I think at least um, when the Virginia Woolf space. Um, I always think of the need to kind of really, I'm a very curious person and I'm always out and I'm always immersing myself in a number of things. And I think the value of reflection and sort of being able to create your own space and really give yourself um, that freedom to kind of explore without crazy inputs and always dialogue is important. Um, So yeah, those things are really important to me when I think about my evolution just as a person. Love that.
4: Yeah, so what's what's next for you? What's next for me? I
3: mean, I think it's really interesting because, you know, milk as an ecosystem is always ever-evolving and it's a culture of entrepreneurs. So, um, you know, professionally, there really is just this kind of like ongoing set of incubation and new ideas and new opportunities happening at milk. And I think what's great about that environment is that we're really agnostic. So we work with so many different people. And for me, as a person who's always just been naturally curious about businesses and how creativity and business come together, you know, the, the opportunity to be at a place where you can talk to brands, you can talk to other agencies, you can talk to artists, you can talk to media companies, um, that diversity of, of access and things happening in the milk ecosystem um, professionally is, is what's exciting. Um and personally, mm-hmm. yeah. I guess uh dealing with my two Portuguese water dogs. <laughs> I'm a
0: crazy dog person. Love it. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> do you sleep at night?
3: I do. I sleep really, really well at Ugh.
0: night. It sounds like you're working on a lot of interesting projects. I'm yeah, surprised. So that that's you didn't probably what
3: it... what makes me so tired at the
0: end
1: of the I always ask the book question and then I answer and I say the content trap. You gotta read the content trap.
3: Yeah, I, I don't I don't read a lot of business books to be honest
1: with you it's one of probably the best books i've ever read on but it's not just about content about probably the most you know i read a, a lot of business books but yeah. i would say it's
3: that's the one you would say i should definitely read
1: i have bought about 10 copies of this book for friends family all right colleagues. i'm adding it
3: to the list it is we'll uh, we could
1: uh, we could send it to you it, it's the intersection of 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 content culture and 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 Everything we're talking about—it yeah. actually be—it's an amazing story. And it talks and about I will a send lot. It to you. Of,
3: yeah, I would love to read it.
1: it. Talks. It talks about a lot of modern companies, and it also talks about that may actually be where I got that bounty that thing from. Mm. I, I could be wrong about that, okay. but we'll get you that book. Awesome. Uh, that was a personal statement, not a question. Thank
0: you. <laughs> so, what's the one piece of advice you could offer our listeners?
3: So, um, for a lot of young people, when I talk about career advice, at least. A big portion of of what I ensure people are always thinking about is that it's okay to be uncomfortable and challenge comes from discomfort. I think today, particularly when I look at the access to everything, it's like people today can just find it on the Internet and be like, I experienced it and I know that I don't want to do that. Which is so
0: funny because I'm thinking about Black Friday, like. Why do we need to go into the store anymore? I can just do everything online. you
3: don't. I mean, all of the articles today are coming out that are giving you all the summaries of what to do with Black Friday. But it's interesting that virtual sort of like you talk about content and expertise. Like today, every what is it? 60% of all teenagers believe that they're an expert at something because they've seen it. They've watched the YouTube video. They have all this free time on their hands. Um, And I think there's a fundamental difference between the consuming the content around it and actually doing it. And I think for me, that philosophy of being like, I love movies doesn't mean that I know how to make a movie because I watch a lot of movies. And we're seeing that happen a lot in today's landscape. Like, I love social media. I use it. You cannot be a social media strategist because it's not just about posting the things that you love. Right. Yep. Um, and I have I agree, one one hundred provocative statement to make because I know we're wrapping up. I believe the future of all content is branded. So, I mean, I felt that. Five years ago, and I feel it even more now, directly or indirectly. Um, you know, I talked to so many different people, and it's funny. I was talking to someone um, at a big brand, Playboy, and they had a magazine, and they also have a licensing division. And the magazine is the branded content for the licensing division, right? Like people don't even think about it that way. They know Playboy as a media brand, yeah. And actually, their business is a licensing product Mm -hmm. commerce business. So whether directly or indirectly, I mean, I think that's just something that, you know, we can have this debate about, is it branded? Is it not? Is it native? Is it whatever? If it's good content, that's what matters to people with transparency. And frankly, all content is funded from brands. So I think we're going to have to deal with that um, and think about what that means um, and how it as we continue life. to think about content as your business. So. Yeah,
0: definitely. I think that was fantastic. Um, so what's the best way for people to connect with you? Twitter, oh, yeah. LinkedIn? Um,
3: sure. People can just email me, Angela at MilkStudios.com. Pretty straightforward. Um, we've got a website, MilkGroup.com, if you want to take a look. I know Milk is a very complex place, but and we kind of outline all of our different companies and services there um and yeah i welcome anyone to kind of get in touch all of you i would love to host you all for i know lisa's come for a coffee and a tour of milk um welcome you guys to do the same would love to host you that would great. be
0: fantastic and it just for our listeners what kind of people would you be interested in connecting with
3: i'm interested in connecting with um modern marketers who are looking to connect with new audiences and with culture um you know who are looking to reach a youth platform to reach emerging culture, um, and do that in a truly authentic way. So uh, th- those are the people I'm curious about uh, meeting with. And I also neglected to mention it's right across the street from Google. So a lot of times I'll tell people the next time you come for a Google meeting, just stop by an hour earlier and we'll have a coffee. All Thank right. you
0: so much for being yeah, here with of us. of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm right. um, here with my co-host, Lisa Berger. Thank you. And Edward Hertzman. Thank you. My name's Dahlia Strom. Thanks so much for joining us, and we can't wait to hear your story next time.
2: You've been listening to Content Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show, or to become a sponsor, email us at, at network.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Content Biz Show. That's Content B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, contentisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by 24-7 Talent. Connect with the best talent at 247talent.com. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening